All right, guys, welcome to the Talk and Shed podcast. Uh, today is uh, early April. It's the 6th, and we've got a few guests in-house today, um, some new, some old. Uh, let's start with the newest guest, Sam Hoagland. Sam, what's up? Oh, not much, guys. How is everybody? Oh, we're good. I'm good. We're good. Oh, yeah. It's early April. Crunch time is hanging over our head, and uh, thought we'd get everyone together and, and record a podcast. The last one we did, we had dad and lee and gunkelman and cody up here uh had a had a pretty good time hunter what are you up to today uh just trying to keep it all straight and get everything squared away before the weekend yep if you guys remember we did a podcast with hunter at the louisville farm show is that right yep mm-hmm. yeah yep. so hunter's on board with us for um two three months now yeah since january all right hunter keep going uh if you guys remember um we did a podcast with Hunter at Louisville Farm Show. Yep. Hunter covers uh, pretty much most of Indiana. Um, he's out of Winchester? Winchester, yeah. Is that right? Okay. So um, we did a podcast with him for a while. And then, of course, we've got Cody with us again today. And uh, He always sounds like it's just such a terrible thing so, that I'm here. Uh, don't know what we're going to talk about today, but probably um, all kinds of different things. Sam, let's dive into your role here some guys that follow the podcast or the email blast or youtube have probably seen some projects that you've been working on before i've taken pictures and videos of them in the shop let's dive into what in the world you do so i have heard my name on the podcast a few times and you know you show off what i do uh i'm a fabricator welder been doing that for oh 20 years now um worked in all kinds of different fields but i've never felt like i've been given the freedom to really do projects how i want to do them until i've worked here sure and i find that great um you know as long as i'm not going crazy it's whatever i want to do and Mm -hmm. i like that Mm -hmm. yeah you know uh as many of you know a lot of stuff we do um doesn't even exist sometimes yeah you know uh quite a bit of stuff yeah um, s2s units uh we're diving into the wide drop bars now and just millions of tank brackets like mm-hmm. the, just all the tank brackets in the world that you could ever think of on everything yeah yeah so you guys uh that get planner tank brackets you know um Cody and I are getting ready to deliver some to Beards down in Southeast Ohio uh, that Hunter had sold. You know, um, Devin and Sam had a big part of that. Um, Any tank bracket, really, you had a hand in, whether it's designing them or or welding them up. Yeah, so typically when we get a call, if it's a planner we haven't done, we go uh, just pull some measurements on it, dream it up, draw it up, fab it, weld it, and get it powder coated and send it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a big part of it. You know, uh, if we need anything, you know, because we're, we're not the typical dealer, you know, not everything has a part number. Sometimes you have to create some of that stuff. So, um, uh, Sam and Devin have been a big asset to dream the stuff up. Like we'll have a rough idea or the customer will, but then they will line it up and say, well, you need gussets here, this strength's here, and, and actually put it into something uh, that's for real. 
Um, what what do you think gives you the knack for metal? And and I mean, obviously, been doing it for twenty years. There's some trial and error there, probably. But like, what is it that that makes you love metal and and be so so well versed in it? So this is gonna sound funny, but I was born poor, <laughs> so I've had to build everything I've ever wanted. You know? Sure. Um, and it always requires welding, fabrication, machining, uh, and in that process of building whatever I wanted, whether it be, uh, when I was a kid, it was always motorcycles or dirt bikes. And then I got a little older and it was cars. And then it, you know, I got a little older than that and realized that I had a family and I had to take care of them and, uh, you can make money doing this. So, sure. um, yeah, that's, that's really where I grew my love for it is just being able to build the things I want. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes I wish I wish I could temporarily rewind the clock to how we did metal fabrication before Sam four or five years ago, and it was literally with a bandsaw and a grinder, and uh, and we had a welder too, but um, you know it, it was pretty crude. You you can imagine. Um, we we made it work for what we were doing, but we were just starting to dabble into that kind of stuff. We would make tank brackets every now and then. We would have to outsource a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, Sam has been able to stretch our ability um, and and really reach out. Um, why don't you dive into uh, the newest project that we're doing? You briefed on it, the Y-Drop Toolbars in-house. What's that going to entail? Um, so I just bought a new tool, or you guys actually bought a new tool today that I, I said I wanted. It is a rotary weld positioner. And it is, it's gonna be like you tack bushings into a plate, you set the plate on the rotary and you get it dialed in with how fast you wanna weld and you can make the entire weld of the bushing at once. So there's no cold spot in that bushing. Um, and it, it's, it's mostly tools, tool, tools are key, you sure. know, and they always are. And we continue to get more tools and more dangerous with the welding fab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with the, the Y drop toolbar, um, I don't question that it's out of our ability. We both know that. Um, but you know, probably what do you think maybe the biggest hurdle is? I know them fixtures, uh, you're taking a lot of time on those fixtures to make them cause it's gotta be right. And so walk through the fixture process for a lot of people who don't know how this manufacturing works. You don't just line two tubes together at a 90 degree and, and lay a bead on them, right? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, the fixturing is going to be huge. Uh, a lot of the fixture stuff I've made uh, with our plasma and what we have at the shop, um, there's been some parts that are more picky that um, I had a couple of the other guys help draw them up justin um and we were going to send them out and be lasered to mortise and tendon the fixture together sure and then so without a doubt that fixture will be square to build uh like the hooks to go on the front of the wide drop um and a few other problem areas that we've had before that definitely we're going to take our time on the fixturing so that stuff is not a problem anymore. Sure. I think, you know, what, what's unique in, in one of the bigger gaps between someone who, 
um, can do a little bit of fab in and, and, and this and that. But a big deal, I think, is being able to throw it on a drawing, like an actual computer. Yes. You know, like you can say, I'm going to make this square table for my wife, whatever, I'll have a bandsaw and a welder. But when you go start designing and drawing things, putting them on a CAD program to roll them, measure, and send off prints, that's a game changer. Yeah, when when a guy can see what he's building before he's building it, it's huge. Yeah. It, it, it takes hours of guesswork out of the whole process, mm-hmm. and that is huge. Mm-hmm. And do you remember the, the fear and hesitation we had to get the 4x4 Lincoln Plasma? Uh, so you guys had got that just before me. Okay. But, yes, Devin told me about, <laughs> about you know, the hesitation and I'm sure that, you know, it comes with a huge price tag, but look at what it's made now. Oh yeah. I mean, and at that time, like I said, we were just kind of starting to dabble in it and you know, it's just one of the things you don't know. And, uh, man, that thing hums every day now. And well, now the bigger one does probably more, but, um, we've outgrown the four by four. We've outgrown the four by four, but I still use it cause it sits right by me that, but yeah, I love them both. Yeah. Yeah, they're handy. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, fab stuff that we're working on, and uh, it's it's amazing what, um, yeah, we sell equipment. You know, we sell the Salfords pre-made. You know, 80% of our sales today are probably still pre-made from a vendor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be nimble enough and have the ability to uh, – diversify yourself a little bit oh, yeah. more. I mean, I mean, it's huge. Yeah, it's just guys will call and, and hey, I, I want this. And, and it's like, well, you know, we can do that. Whether it's a tank on the back of a J&M or um, you name it. What's some of the crazier projects we've done that you could think of, Sam? So that, we took that Land Lover bar um, and uh, the road units got sold off of it. Yes. We made it we made the whole bar lift come out of the ground and we put an S2S unit on the top of it. That one, that was a, yeah, that was quite the project. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the, uh, Salford 6056 mm-hmm. cedar on the back of that small Heggy. S- oh yeah. DTS. DT. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that one, that was a crazy project. It yes, had to build it was. Cab- catwalks and everything for it yep that thing was sweet yeah that came out really nice yeah and there was that and then we threw a cedar on the back of a jm yeah we threw a cedar on the back of the jm oh yeah um, yeah last year for seth mm-hmm. up in Bucyrus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. well up in that way yep and we put s2s units on it and yeah. whatnot and yep the whole nine yards so I, yeah, I think definitely diversifying it. And, you know, we always talk about Sam, how he likes to play with metal like it's Play-Doh. But it's it's definitely one of those deals to where you're definitely a big asset for not only the company, but us as salesmen. Because we know if we bring you a project, we know that you and Devin are going to be able to figure something out to get it to where it needs to be. I'm, I'm glad I make it look like I'm playing with Play-Doh because it feels a lot harder than that most of the time. <laughs> well, it, it, gives, uh, it, it give us, gives us the absence of fear uh, when, when we're out selling. You know, it's like, well, 
you know, if, uh, if something doesn't fit, uh, we'll end up making it fit or, or if, if that doesn't work, we'll, we'll make it work. You know, I, I forget who it was. It was you the other day, I think said, Hey, can we fit a 500 gallon tank on a, on the, this and this drill? I said, I'm sure we can just, uh, get it sold and we'll go find one, draw it up and it'll fit right up there. Somehow, some way we'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. We'll make there's it work. Well, there's a way. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, a lot of the projects we do, um, like I said, don't exist. So we, we gotta have to, uh, have to make them exist. So, um, let's talk about, uh, uh, what else Sam does. I know we cut, you cut a lot of firewood. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tons. Yeah. <laughs> I have a giant old farmhouse that is not insulated very well. And my life, my wife likes it to be, you know, T minus 80 degrees in there. <laughs> I see. I see. Yep. Yep. So, um, pretty good at cutting wood by force not by will by force i am i see yeah i see he's a professional tree faller yeah oh tree feller faller yeah Yeah. lumberjack yeah woodchuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah um what else does sam enjoy doing um i've got a handful of kids uh the third one's on the way now i thoroughly enjoy my children yep um i like harley davidson's Oh yeah, yeah. But I, my wife says, babies can't ride on Harley Davidson. So well, they're not babies forever. Uh, yeah, but it seems like the stretch in between one to the other. Yeah, uh, they're. N- I never don't have a baby. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that'll slow down eventually. Maybe I don't know. Uh, hopefully after this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I see. I see. Um, yeah, so we, uh, how long have you been here? Two, three? I'm, I'm just shy of two years right now. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Um, so, uh, I can't think of any other projects that we're working on right now other than mainly the Y-drop bar, a bunch of tank brackets. Um, can't think of any big ones right now. Uh, we've minimized the tank brackets since... So from the first year I was here to the second year, you know, we pre-ordered um, like all the materials we needed for the brackets and we had them pre-cut and everything. And I just went to town. Yeah, pretty much like mm-hmm. an assembly line, just welded them up and it went uh, so much better since, you know, like you said before, we have drawings um, that somebody orders this tank on this planter. We already know what the bracket looks like. So we can build it so yeah that's that's been you know minimalized on on my my work table mm-hmm. but yeah this the y drop bar thing right now is pretty pretty big for me it, it'll be day in and day out here for the next couple months mm-hmm. yeah because i mean i don't know i i what kyle say we moved the other day how many this year y drop bars yeah do we have sold I forget. I thought it was 23. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's north of 20. Sounds about right. Um, so for people who don't understand what all it takes to go from wanting to get something on it, let's just say a planner, to to getting it on the planner, um, walk through what that takes. Like from, from going there, seeing it, doing the measurement, getting Justin drawn up, all that. So... Like you said, it, it typically starts out, we have to find uh, 
that planner and that doesn't always just because it's the same model doesn't always mean it's the same planner yeah um uh, from year to year a bracket gets moved this that the other thing uh um guide wheels uh things get moved every year they move a gusset or something something yeah and it totally ruins what i did the year before (laughs) so um yeah you 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 find the planner you measure it up and you you have to make sure that it it's the exact planner bar none it, you have to make sure mm-hmm. and then um i make a sketch a sketch with measurements on it then typically justin and i will sit down um him and i draw everything so he can read my chicken scratch he he draws it on the computer but I just guide him through what I measured. Sure. Um, after that, uh, ordering metal, if we don't already have it in stock, but we have a pretty good stock anymore of the metal, um, uh, then typically burn out the flat plate, cut the tubing, um, weld and fab, uh, clean up, off to the powder coater and then to the customer uh, usually i i'd say it can be done in a week week and a half time you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah depending on if we have to wait on metal and stuff like that right. but yeah so basically you'll draw it up take the thumb drive over to the the computer on the plasma let yep. the plasma basically read what's on the thumb drive kind of guide the plasma a little bit yeah just punching your metal thickness and then it does it yeah push the button and and it spits out what you envisioned in your mind yep yeah yeah that's it's amazing you know i i don't really follow the process a whole lot but it's amazing you watch the the uh the plasma over there running and uh all of a sudden something pretty accurate and cool gets spit out and, and at the end of the day that's what gets slapped on it's pretty neat Um, I can't tell you the amount of time we used to wait on stuff like that. Like it'd be two weeks. Oh yeah. Uh, to, to get on about, to get on anybody's laser or plasma table around here, it's, you know, a week, a week wait from when you ask for it and then, you know, another week to ship. Yeah. 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 And that's just. It goes to show how well we do economically around here, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of fabrication shops around, but they're all still pretty busy too. Yes. But uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, the the gist of of how that process works. Because for for those who don't know, and I I I still don't have it figured out, but I I've learned a lot more than what I used to. You know, I never really knew how in the world you could get to something, you know, that's in your mind to a real hard product. Right. It, it's a process that not a, a very few people know. There's there's very few people that, you know, uh, build a project from beginning to end. Now, there's factories and where there will be a guy that runs a press break and a guy that runs a plasma and a guy that runs a welder, you know, but I I don't know too many people that are, you know, weld fab machine. Um, and draw. Yeah. 
do a whole project. I don't know too many of them. Yeah. Because, you know, there could be four people involved. Like if I sell something, maybe me and Devin go look at it. Justin draws it up and you weld it. Mm -hmm. There's four people there. Right. You know, and, and everyone kind of has their, their spot and they do what they need to do and pass it on and pass it on at the end of the day. And then, then we go to powder coat. Right. That's another step. Another person. Yeah. Too. Um, walk through what you know about the powder coat process. Um, so I take a lot of parts to powder coat. Um, Jack, he's great. Uh, he, so he has to wash every part first, um, wash it or sandblast it. And then, uh, he hangs it in his paint cabinet and it's, it has like a positive charge on it and the powder has a negative charge and he covers, he covers the part with the powder and then shoves it into the oven to bake. And it's the most resilient, you know, metal finish I know of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when it goes in the oven, it's probably going to have like a grayish color or some, some color not related to the actual color. Yeah. Sometimes the color they put on is nothing like the end, end product. And it, it, it's typically dull, you know, the, the powder's dull and some of the most vibrant colors. Like he's even got a, a two part now where he can put a clear coat on top of a color already, you I know, see. so you could like say wax it, buff it, and, and it would have that protective layer on it. Yeah. It's amazing. Hmm. I see. And so when you throw it in the oven, does it like melt down those particles so that it then like, yeah, melts and adheres. Yeah. I see. Yep. I see. I I've never, I've picked up some stuff. I've dropped some stuff off, but I've always kind of been amazed at that process. Yeah. If you get a chance, um, Jack Evans, he's totally open to tell you whatever, whatever you want to know, but he's great. He's right down the road from us. He, yeah. he does an awesome job. Yeah. It makes it handy. And, and we take, a lot of stuff there down the road easy to get to and uh yeah i mean powder coats are our choice because i believe it's also the the best protective you can get absolutely yeah uh, like um i've done a fair amount of work for that will go into factories on like machine lines and a paint um the uh the coolant from the machines will start to break that paint down immediately like the paint will literally run off and i started having stuff powder coated back then in the early 2000s when that paint was a problem and uh there's been nothing like it you know nothing like it to ever come out yeah yeah so we we powder coat all of our stuff here uh, and it, it really gives it a really nice shiny and, and hard protective coat it holds up to the fertilizers yeah you, other other than using stainless i wouldn't know what else to do you know it's sure the powder's the way to go yeah um hunter let's talk about what you've been up to lately i've just been anything trying. depends on uh i guess yeah i've been plenty busy trying to get out and see as many people as possible and okay just get back with them as quick as i can and just trying to balance work and personal life and everything and yeah keep being straight being a few months in um dad may have said you know you're kind of coming into this at right at kind of go time 
Is you think it's go time? I think we're almost there. Yeah. Yeah, I so mean it sure seems like it. Had, how uh the the amount of phone calls and stuff is it surprising? Uh so, some days and I can some days I can correlate it to how bad the weather is cuz if it's real nice out, guys are outside, they're doing field work now. Yeah. Um but if it's, you know, a crappy nasty day like we've had this week, a lot more phone calls. Mm-hmm. Or you know, back when we were having snow, guys are inside and they'll straight up tell you it's a snowy Saturday. Yeah. Just curious what you got. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think we briefed on your background a little bit, but you've been in ag for a while. Yeah. 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 About all, all my life. Yeah. Yep. Um, how do you think the ag sales is maybe different machinery sales anyway, than, than maybe what you're used to? Um, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot more differentiation, I guess, cause a lot of options. I mean, you can tailor any, most products or like say make a tank bracket. I mean, you can tailor it specifically to what a guy wants. Um, which is completely different than say like when I was working at the co-op working with commodities everything's all the same and you're basically working off price alone right um, and relationships of course but no I'd, I'd say it's more I guess what we have to offer here and that diverse product line and I mean like I said they're well-made tank brackets I mean I didn't have a problem Mr. Beard he uh, just asked if we could do that and I said, yeah, of course. They're yeah. well made. And, you know, I sent him pictures of ones you guys have done in the past. And he's like, all in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to go install those tomorrow. So, hopefully Should- they don't fall off the truck. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Might have to repowder go to my guys. <laughs> but, yeah, um, you know, I think I feel pretty decent with where we're at given the time of year. Um, I, I struggle to say that a little bit because you don't know what you don't know. You know, there, there's problems out there that aren't going to arise until the hitch pin gets dropped in the, the tool and it hits the field and all of a sudden, you know, something happens, you know. Yeah. So the, the problems are stashed away in a barn that, that are just haven't been exposed to the sunlight yet. Yep. Um, so, but as far as getting jobs completed and stuff, I feel pretty confident. I know Devin and I talked earlier in the week and there was a goal to finish every planner this week and we're going to come close. There'll be, I think there's two that I'm aware of that we'll have to finish next week. But you know, with the weather coming up, we're, we're, there's going to be guys running next week. Yeah. Um, especially where we're going tomorrow at beards, you know, you get South of 70 and, uh, it's, if it's 70 here, it's going to be 80 degrees down there. Yeah. And so, um, this stuff's going to dry out quick. We, you know, we had, I don't know, I think we had an inch of rain yesterday, give or take, but you know, stuff like that can, can dry out pretty quick with three or four days of really good hot weather. Yeah. Um, is he Southern Indiana? He is Southeast Ohio. I gotcha. Yep. So like Lancaster. Yeah. Pretty close to that. I was in Tennessee last weekend and it looked like people were ready to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's amazing how you don't have to go too far south, and it's just greener already. Yes, yeah, like yeah, the tree, the trees in Tennessee were sprouting. Everything, it's yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's weird. I just noticed some trees. You know, a few days ago, you could kind of start seeing them. Heck, down there, it's probably you know a lot further along. But it, it's amazing how you don't have to get very far, and it's totally different. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I can remember back, me and Jeff Worley, our Yetter rep, went to uh, New Orleans for the Commodity Classic in early March. And uh, we drove down, and uh, I think I met him in Illinois, 
I had to go out there for something. And then we drove down to New Orleans. And it was, I mean, 20, 30 degrees. And just as we crept down there, you know, just greener and greener. You get down there and it shorts and mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable how yeah. how much that changes. Um, I know it's kind of common sense, but until you like do it, you don't understand it. Yeah, right. Put it in perspective. Yeah. I mean, there's there's knee high corn in Texas right now. Yeah. I mean, it. You know. Do, do they grow a couple crops a year in certain spots? Yeah. 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 Um, when Zach Meyer and I were in Florida at Alliance Dairy, we mounted a Valmar cedar on his case tool in Florida. We drove mm-hmm. down there and installed it. And it I've never been in a hotter place in my life. And we got there at about midnight the one night and we were so tired, but we, we were like, this is gonna be the coolest it's gonna be when we're here. Yeah. So we toughed it out and we worked until about six in the morning. Yeah. And then we went to the hotel and slept until like noon and came back and wrapped it up. I mean, they had misters that were like 20 feet tall, 30 feet wide, so they can, their employees could just drive the tractors through them to cool them off. I mean, it was bad. And uh, it was crazy. But what I'm getting at is they, you know, they had a dairy down there, and I'm thinking a dairy in Florida. What? That makes no sense. Right. Like you would think the cows would just produce nothing. Well, they have so much water that they just missed everything. Mm-hmm. The wells and the water table so shallow. Yeah. And uh, so they can grow multiple crops of corn. I think three crops under pivot of corn in a year. So they've got abundant feed and abundant water. The two most important resources when you're milking cows. True. So Probably wonderful for cows then. Yeah. If you can keep them cool enough with the water. So I found that very interesting. And then they shipped a lot of their heifer calves up here to dark county ohio to get fed oh really yep until i think right before breeding then they would go back down they had a custom grower that would feed them they'd ship them from florida to dark county ohio feed them out and uh right before breeding they'd ship them back and breed them and and do all that yeah that's what the uh the sickles family over there in randolph county that's what they do one of their biggest i think at one point they were up to eighteen thousand that they raised for wow and beers over yeah around burn that's yeah. exactly what they do as well okay yeah it's it's interesting i mean it it's amazing how logistically i mean you would think that's crazy but uh, i don't know geographically it never ceases to amaze me how differently people farm Oh yeah, and I'm I'm not personally a farmer, but I find it very interesting, you know how differently people do it from one place to another. It is, but if you talk to anybody around here, you know this is the only way to do it. Right. But you go, you know, five hours south, uh, they're totally different. It's mm-hmm. crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. I've spent some time in like Nebraska and the Dakotas, and the whole thing out there is everything just sits outside. Mm-hmm. Um, not a big deal. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but around here, everything's got a shed, you know, to be parked in. Right. And, and, uh, and then you get into, um, the, uh, oh, I forget what the heck they call them where they, they, uh, like a bed, they, they like dig a bed and plant the crop up on the bed. A terrace. The yeah. Terraces. Is it a terrace? Ridge. I don't know. Cause I, I don't know if terraces are, are where you farm on like a hillside. So yeah, that's where you cut it and make it flat. Yeah. Like a stair step. Oh, you're thinking something different. Yeah, I think so. So I've got a farmer in Illinois. He just started doing this. Uh, he 
Yeah, he mounds the like cornrow. Like, like ridge tail. Yes, he mounds the cornrow up for, for a ridge, plants the corn uh, on top of that ridge, and then flood irrigates the field. Yeah. I see. And, and the water goes down in between the hills. Right. So the little beds. Yeah. And uh, he seems to be having pretty good luck with it. I think he runs like a three-point planter. Yeah. And runs it that way. But uh, that that's pretty interesting. Yeah. See a lot of that in Nebraska. Certain yeah. places. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing. Um, the, and then you get into cotton. Oh, yeah. I have I don't know that I've ever seen it growing. And pecans. Mm-hmm. Um, when Zach and I made the Florida trip, we also installed a cedar in Georgia. And it was a big pecan grower. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, pecan trees. And uh, pecan or pecan, depending on who you talk to. That's another geographic thing. Yeah, it was crazy. And then peaches. There were peaches everywhere. And it it, it was just, it was amazing. And uh, and the dirt is just so much different. Yeah. Um, down there, there was like blow sand, kind of. I mean, um, and you get to Illinois and you've got some black stuff. And around here, there's a lot of clay. But um, it's amazing how uh, the water plays so much into that. Of course, Texas, you know, they live and die by the water. You know, they mm-hmm. can have a lot of crops down there, but if, if it's dry, because it's always, everyone I talk to in Texas always talks about the wind. Mm-hmm. Like, they're right there on the coast, and yeah. it's so windy. Um, so I think that sucks up a lot of that moisture. And my mom and dad live in Galveston half the year, and they say it can get very windy. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of the thing. Yeah. And uh, West West Texas, the weather coming out of the mountains is hit and miss. You know, it's hard to track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, um, you know, if there's, like, I don't know if there's much stuff planted yet in, like, Tennessee and down there. Did you see any fields that had been planted, you thought? No. Where I was was up in the mountains, and mostly yeah. they just had – like cattle or horses grazing you know i didn't see anything necessarily planted nor did i see a place where they could necessarily plant anything if they wanted to yeah 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 i know in in kentucky it's you know kind of the western half the eastern half of kentucky is nothing but hills and i'm not familiar enough with tennessee to know the the difference there but similar yeah I, i do have a gentleman in tennessee um Tim King um, got him a rate controller and stuff for his planter. I think he might be rolling. Hmm. I think. I think he might be planting. I don't know that for a fact. I know he was sitting on the edge there, and I talked to him Monday. I talked to him Friday, uh, but I don't remember. Um, but, heck, it's Thursday already. He's got to be planting, depending on if he got some of that rain and stuff, I guess, yesterday. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, what else do we need to talk about? Sam, you got any fun facts for today? Mm, give me a subject. What do you want to know fun facts about? <laughs> um, well, we we need to hit on the fact and get a little bit into Sam's history. So Sam's actually a veteran. Yes, yes that is true. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's talk about fun facts about that. Sam, let's talk about some fun facts about veteran. You being a veteran and the history and what you know about that type of stuff. Now, 
keep in mind this SD card only holds six hours of uh, <laughs> audio. <laughs> so I was in the Navy for a hike. I joined in 04. I got out in late 07. So I was in for just just shy of four years active duty. And then I did another two years of active reserves. Um, so when I first joined, I went to where everybody goes, Great Lakes, Illinois, uh, right on Lake Michigan. Um, that is where the first uh, naval carrier, like aircraft carrier, was launched at. Um, it was another boat, and I'm not sure it had a wood deck, and they launched airplanes off of it right there in Lake Michigan and flew them. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, that's where the first one was. Uh, after that, I went, um, got out of boot camp. I went across the street in Great Lakes, Illinois, and I went to diesel school. Um, got out of diesel school and I went to Little Creek for the Little Creek base in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was on the USS Gunston Hall, which is a flat bottom boat. Um, it's been decommed or decommissioned here recently, but I was on there for two deployments. Um, and we went to the exact same place both times, but yeah um went across uh stopped in africa floated around africa for a while went through the straits of gibraltar um mediterranean sea into the red sea um dropped marines off around kuwait we went to another naval base over there called bahrain and stayed there got some repairs for a while um, and then we'd head back, you'd stop in Europe, uh, an island, a strain of islands called seashoals. I've been to Greece. I've been to Italy, uh, split Croatia, uh, Djibouti, Africa, uh, a laundry list of European countries. Hmm. But yeah, I was on a flat bottom boat. It was like, a pretty much a pickup for the Marines, a pickup truck for the Marines. We would take their equipment and about 900 Marines on, we would take them over to the Middle East, drop them off, and we'd head back. I see. Just transporting. Just transporting. That's all we did. And I, I just worked on diesels the whole time. Really? Yep. Interesting. And welded also. But, okay. But once they figure out you can weld, they won't let you go. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I see. Interesting. Um, so you say you were you, four years? Yeah. In four years, you did all that? Uh, Act, that type of uh, transportation stuff? Yes. Yeah. But f four years. Um, so you would spend, even if you weren't on a deployment, you wouldn't spend very much time in port. I would say two or three weeks out of every month, you would go out to sea. Uh, just to keep the ship ready, everything working, everything lubed up. Yeah. You never, you never spent too much time in port. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep everything rolling. Yeah. That's the name of the, the ship's always got to stay ready for, you know, the next problem. Sure. Sure. Now, is that type of stuff still going on today or was that 
mainly because of what was going on at that time? Uh, no, it's still going on today. I still have quite a few friends that are in the military. Um, one of my very good buddy's brother is a master chief and he, he stays deployed almost constantly. Like when he come, when he, when he comes back from a deployment, they'll fly him to another ship that is deployed. So he, it can keep track and he, he's an engine man too. I see. So, yeah, that's what he does. But, yeah, constantly out to sea. And I, see. and I don't know so much about the West Coast. I've never never sailed with those guys. I've only sailed out of the East Coast. So I don't know how, how it goes over there. But on the East Coast, you stay out to sea. I see. Um, what kind of stuff would you weld on at that time? Uh, any Any... Any part that would break, like I remember um, valve covers on the engines, they had these latches that would, uh, so those engines, each cylinder had its own cylinder head. And the valve covers on there, when you'd flip, when you, they were like a quick release so you could get in there and work on something. When you'd flip those latches around, they would break. Uh, I'd weld on them constantly. Uh, leaks, um, handrails, uh, any, anything structurally that would break inside the ship. Now I, I've never welded on, let's say the outside of the ship or anything, but just, just parts. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And how big of a ship you talking? So I think now don't quote me on this, but I think that ship was 160 some feet wide, 300 just shy of 400 feet long and it was a flat bottom boat so it didn't go very far underwater maybe maybe about 19 or 20 feet would be underwater and then above water probably like a good size two two and a half story house out of water i see Nah, probably bigger than that even yeah it was small compared to a carrier but uh, still huge yeah we we had 300 and some crew and then we could take uh about 900 more marines on dang anytime yeah plus all of their trucks tanks um the boat had this thing called a well deck where it was pretty much like a tailgate a tailgate and you would ballast down and take other boats inside inside of that boat and transport them really yeah I see. It's cool stuff. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, is, do you think a lot of that stuff's different today? Yeah. Uh, from from what I understand, a lot of the diesel ships are being decommed. Everything, or decommissioned. Everything is going to gas turbine or nuclear powered. Um they don't have boilers to make water very much anymore. They use RO systems. So that, that was one of my jobs when I was on the ship was to make water, um, drinkable water. So we would take seawater, uh, run it, run it through a boiler and an EVAP pump. All the good water would go to the top. We'd pump all the salt out. And then that's the water we used on the ship. I don't think they have those anymore. I think they use reverse osmosis systems. 
Um, most of the diesels are on their way out. A, a lot of nuclear power now. Yeah. Did did the water taste pretty different compared to like regular water? Yeah. So we would we would have to put some of our own chemicals in it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they called it desalination, getting salt out. But yeah, it it's definitely had its own taste. Yeah. You, you could tell. Like if, if you were in port and you bought some bottled water in adverse to the water we made, you could definitely tell the difference mm-hmm. of, of what we could make compared to, you know. Aquafina. Yeah, a company that does, <laughs> does that for a living. It was definitely drinkable. It just wasn't nearly as delicious, you know. <laughs> so you don't miss it. Uh, I, I don't miss being in the Navy, but I would never take back doing it i i mm-hmm. i would i think you know every every 18 year old kid should have to do some sort of civil service military something you know i i just yeah but i'm i'm planning on sending my boy to one of the forces you know it's uh, i just think kids need that yeah yeah <laughs> so as you far know. as like ranking goes in the navy how's that all go by so you have enlisted and then you have officers and in my four years I made it to an E4 and then when I was in uh, an E4 in the Navy is called a third class petty officer and then when I was in the active reserves I made it to E5 which would be a second class petty officer so you go clear up to E9 and E9 in the Navy is a master chief. And then the officers, um, I, I think there are 10, 10 ranks as an officer, um, an admiral, a, fur, a full bird admiral. And that would be, no, they're not a bird. That's captains. Captains are a bird. I forget which insignia admirals are, but there's four different ranks within inside that rank, you mm-hmm. know, so, uh, which would take a lifetime. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. And was it achievements or duration of time that changed that or both? What's that? Rank to rank. Um, both. So you have to test whenever you want to make rank, you have to test to make rank and then, you have however many people are in the same that work the same job as you in that rank and to make the next there's only they select you know a small portion of you to make the next rank and yeah you have to test every time and then there's there you also have to get recommendations to to make the next rank it's it's a process it's mm-hmm. a definite process mm-hmm. i see Interesting. Um, the uh, you mentioned diesels. Um, what uh, you know, a lot of us are obviously aware of the death situation on diesels. Yes. What does that do to? Uh, obviously, all diesels today have it. What does that do? Uh, obviously, it could shorten the lifespan of a diesel, but how? Okay, so death. Um diesel exhaust fluid 
Stuff gets injected into a DPF, which is a diesel particulate filter. And then uh, that DEF, it cleans the soot out of the DPF. And then uh, when you, it runs a regen, so it regens the DPF. And it, clean, it cleans that out so you get that soot out, but it, the DPF stops the diesel from blowing the black smoke out. And it, it greatly affects the life of a diesel just due to the fact of how hard it makes a diesel work. And it, it's not the DEF alone that's making the diesel work. It's the DPF that they're choked down so much that they have to work twice as hard to, you know, do the same output as what they did before. So today you're, you know, it's not uncommon for a diesel pickup, let's say a pickup to make 400 horse, but to get it to make that 400 horse is twice as hard as it was pre-emissions, you know, and DEF is inherently uh, corrosive. You know, it, it, um, it'll wear the paint right off your car, you know, and it, it's just a lot harder on everything because it, it makes everything work twice as hard. Mm -hmm. I see. It, it's basically a nitrogen based product, isn't it? Urea. Urea. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. It's urea yep. water. Yeah. I, I wonder what percent nitrogen that stuff is. I think it's 45. Really? Huh. Because urea is 45 or 46%. I think the last time I checked, it's 45. Uh, yeah. I didn't know how much they time. watered that down or yeah, not or, much at all. I see. Yeah, this stuff is pretty corrosive. Yeah, I, I don't know about straight urea or nitrogen. That it, uh, well, I I guess it does wear bare metal pretty bad. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it, that would be fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why if it if you get it on the ground, it dries up. It'll it salt. Yeah, it'll be it'll like a, a crystal. Yeah, yeah. It crystallizes. Yeah, yep. you can see that under our def tank in the <laughs> shop. Yeah, when I broke the nozzle off of it and took a bath in it, you could see it. <laughs> when was this? Uh, I was at the old shop. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was I was getting the generator welder down and got into it with the forklift and broke that nozzle off and oh, just man. took a bath in it. <laughs> How did you stop it? Uh, it had it had a valve there that when I, once I got off the forklift okay. and got it out of my eyes, I could shut it off. <laughs> Oh shoot! I, I think we could. Uh, I think we're all pretty good at at equipment and what we do and manufacturing, but I think there's there's uh, some revenue to be generated off off of hiring someone to just film the bloopers and what we do on a day to day <laughs> basis and sell it for content. Just don't show it to your dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to have a password to watch. Right? <laughs> we just won't tell him. <laughs> but I, I, I do. Baloney one. <laughs> Don't tell Gary. Yeah, I, I do think uh, there we could we could generate some revenue. Yeah, there. that's a whole job right there. That'd oh, be a whole job. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, the road trips. Oh yeah. And the conversations on road trips. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I know I don't I don't get to go as on as many of them as I used to, but uh, I do enjoy them every now and then. I don't I can't be gone like I used to, but I do miss uh, just you know waking up and um, 
really kind of thinking you have a pretty good grasp on the day and all of a sudden by 2 p.m. you're in central Illinois and had no intentions of it. Yeah. You, you go to sleep in one city, wake up in another. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I had a Snapchat memory show up two days ago and uh, I sent it to Zach Meyer because he was with me. Kevin had sold an anhydrous bar to Southwest Indiana maybe and uh, customer got it and he was doing pre-plant anhydrous so he's running like right now and uh, he goes out to the field to run it opens up his anhydrous tank and anhydrous starts coming out immediately uh, where whereas what's supposed to happen is it doesn't put on anhydrous until you tell it to right you put it in the ground but as soon as he opens the tank it comes out like oh man well he's like well i mean i'm ready to go he's three and a half hours from here and i mean it was like noon so zach and i like looked at each other like i guess we're heading there so we jump in the truck and oh man it wasn't it wasn't until we ended up changing the whole cooler i think out on that thing i think that was like right whenever i first started yeah you guys did that yeah i think we first tried a valve uh woody had us try a valve that wasn't closing all the way maybe um that didn't cut it so we had we were convinced that the insides were uh rusted out of the cooler and so we Mm. put a continental cooler replacement kit on it and uh so that's not a quick process. So I don't know. It was late. It was super late. I think, I don't know. The only place open, I think, was like a Wendy's. We were starving, but we didn't get home until probably in the morning. Yeah. It, but, you know, that stuff used to happen a lot. Um, and it, it might still today. Like I said, some of that stuff just kind of happens. Um, but uh, we've Un- unforeseen issues that haven't arised yet that we don't know that we have to deal with right but and and you know that it's gonna we know it's gonna happen you know think about all the stuff that we've sold in the years past you know all those guys are gonna call us to say yeah well Well, we need to get this bars are hard because all you can do is throw some air to them and and see if they hold air it doesn't exactly test everything on it there there's a lot and you you can't just have an anhydrous tank sitting out here and See if it works. <laughs> Just can't quite do that. Crank it touch stays dangerous. Yeah. So, but yeah, trips like that, um, I do miss sometimes from time to time because it, it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you very sharp. And, mm-hmm. and then when that problem arises again, you don't forget that and you, and you can troubleshoot it. You know how to fix it. And yeah. oh, yeah, definitely. Like last year, I sold a, an anhydrous bar. It, it just seems like it's the anhydrous time right well, now, you know? And so me and your dad, it was, it was the day that we were getting ready to go fish. Yeah. And I, and I had my customer call me and I'm like, oh gosh, okay, what's wrong? Well, this, this, and this. Okay. And, all right. Well, we get over there and I ended up swapping out the whole continental cooler because I'm pretty sure that he froze the O-rings in it and he broke the O-rings in it. Because so we, I think the rate was set different. Yeah, the rate was set wrong in the controller or something so like, like that. The, the the valve opened up all the way, and so mm-hmm. it, it shoved all this anhydrous that was pressurized in the tank into the cooler, mm-hmm. and it got it so cold that I think it busted out all the O-rings. Mm-hmm. Brand brand new brand new bar. Yeah, right? brand new bar. Yeah, yep. So I woke up and left the farm at seven o'clock with your dad, and we went over there and started working on it and. 
Yeah, anhydrous is weird. I mean, yeah. it can... To today, nobody can tell me what exactly happens inside of one of these anhydrous coolers. I used to be able to. Really? Yeah, I did. I can give it a shot. but um, So it has to do with uh, the boiling temperature of the anhydrous plays a big part into it. So anhydrous in today's temperature uh, would instantly turn to a gas. Okay. Instantly because of its... Uh, boiling temperature and you want it to hit the ground as a liquid you want it to um it rarely does i see uh because uh, um so it's stored in that um stored in that big container under pressure because mm-hmm. it's only liquid under two ways high pressure and uh temperature i see so it's in there as a liquid and you we want it to stay a liquid at least until we can meter it because you can meter liquid but you can't easily meter gas right i can't say that you can't meter gas because you can but so the cooler is a way to get it from the tank through a meter um while keeping it in a liquid state in a liquid state as long as possible the second that it starts to leave the cooler and go through the distributor it starts to turn to gas instantly because of the temperature outside. <coughs> um, so like if, if you had it in a pan under pressure and just release it in there, it would just poof gas instantly mm-hmm. because of it boils at like, I forget it. It boils. I'm, I might say this wrong at like negative 200 unlikely fahrenheit yeah. yeah it boils liquid nitrogen is about 430 to liquid so, state something crazy like that and so that's why like it, it turns to a gas because it, it's boiling like like you boil water right and and it turns to a gas but you have to do that at, at a high temperature anhydrous uh turns into uh a liquid from from a liquid to a gas at that low temperature, and so it's it's in a, a cooler or a, in a uh, an anhydrous tank, and it's under pressure. It's liquid in there because of the pressure. Um, and then what the cooler does inside that cooler, um, that anhydrous comes out of there at a high pressure, and what they do is they spiral it around in there to. Uh, keep it cool the the temperature and the rapid uh, moves that it makes throughout that spiral keeps it cool just long enough to make it through the flow meter keeps the molecules mixed up so so yeah i see what you're saying and so it comes out of the cooler goes through the flow meter and it we can now meter it as a liquid but as soon as it's leaving that it's turned into a gas. I gotcha. That's why when a guy raises his anhydrous bar on the end, it just smokes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because it is instantly changing from a liquid to a gas. And I probably screwed some of that up, but that's, that's, <laughs> I used to be able to describe that more accurately, but a lot of people seem like they're getting away from anhydrous. Yeah. The, the danger of it is definitely, uh, an increasing issue. Just, 
a lot of older guys are turning over hands and they're like, you know what? I really don't want my grandkids around this yeah, stuff yeah. and having to run it and whatnot. And so uh, that's where I'm really seeing it is a really big move to the liquid side of it. But you yeah, know, I think logistics too. Yeah. Logistics is a big part of it. You know, out in Illinois, you know, it'd be really hard to pry that stuff out of those guys' hands because they can get it logistically a lot easier. Well, it's not only that, but it's, it's the pre-plant. And mm-hmm. hydras, you know, they can apply it in the fall. Yeah, and their soil will hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they like this fall. We had such a dry fall and a nice fall. Mm-hmm. All their and all their nitrogen's probably already there, so they don't even need to side dress this year or, or on the planter. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. they don't need it. It's out there. They yeah. already did it in November, and so. Um, but another big reason is you know there's a lot more rules and regulations on anhydrous, so a lot of the co-ops in order to get up to code have to invest a lot of money. Right. Yeah. And so, so I, we've sold a lot of nitrogen bars to different places just because their local co-op cannot provide it anymore. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to liquid. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of different things. And you know, if you want to do anhydrous today, you got to either have them feed you tanks or you have to go feed tanks. And versus if you buy some Enduroplast tanks, you can just on, farm store it roll over to your tank right. fill up and you can run all night without having anyone on the rib mm-hmm. so you're saying a regular everyday farmer can't have an anhydrous tank on their farm it has to be at a co-op they they can but it be highly regulated yeah because it's got to be so far from different places right like yeah. even co-ops deal with it's got to be so far from like a school and yeah, I see. And, and I'm sure the insurance on something like that's astronomical. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, so I, I do know of some farmers that do have on-farm anhydrous, um, but it has to make sense, mm-hmm. you know. And and to to most guys, it doesn't. Uh, whereas, like I know in Ohio, you can have uh, the the dike stuff. But you, you can grab, you can get a 2,500-gallon tank and just set it on the ground and not have to worry about a dike. Right. Um, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you go over that, you have to have a dike, and that dike has to hold 1.5 times the amount of the largest tank in your dike. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those deals to where there's kind of like a gray area because they say you can have as many 2,500 gallon tanks on your property. It doesn't really matter to to not have a dike basically. And I believe the same rules and regulations are the same way in Indiana as they are. But as soon as you go, as soon as one, I think the guy was telling me you could only have three, three in this at the same location. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, there are some gray areas there exactly. to where it's like, whatever. But yeah, I, yeah, I, like guys will ask me that, and I'm like, I don't know. I just sell the product that holds it, man. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> call your state chemist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, but like you know, the guys buying the big ten thousand gallon tanks, I mean, they're going to have to have a whale of a dike. Oh yeah, yeah. they're going to have to have a dike that holds fifteen thousand. Or these gallon. guys that are getting 30,000 gallon stainless tanks oh, yeah. and everything else. Oh, and it's yeah. like, yeah, man. you got to have 45,000 with the price of what the price concrete of stain- is. Well, and the price of stainless. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the price of the concrete to build the dike. Yeah. Like that's a big dike, but 
Well, I guess it, it wouldn't have to be concrete, but still. Ideally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. All comes down to the dollars and cents. Yeah. Yeah. And efficiency and, and what works best. When you're, when you ain't making dollars, you ain't making cents. That's right. Right. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But, mm-hmm. Um, well, we're probably creeping up on our time. It's quarter after five and, uh, it's probably time to get home before we all get yelled at. Yep. Um, I've been in the doghouse before. Probably, <laughs> probably with me and Cody. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah, we all have. Mm-hmm. But, uh-huh. uh. I don't know. I enjoyed this podcast, um, sitting down with everyone. It's something we need to do more often. I try to do one of them a week, yeah. but that that's even kind of hard to do just to sit down, take an hour and, and chat about whatever in the world's going on. Um, but it's fun. I think, uh, I think listeners enjoy it. I enjoy doing them. And, uh, I want to thank you guys for taking an hour of your time to Thanks for having me. I thought it was great. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it won't be the last one. Okay. I'm sure not. Yeah. We, I was going to say there's too much knowledge that we haven't even brushed on that's up there. Ah, uh, yeah. I got <laughs> useless facts. Life experience. <laughs> yeah. How old are you, Sam? I am 37. 37. 38 yeah. next month. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we'll have donuts next week or next month. Mm. What is I'm having... Did you ever bring in donuts <coughs> for, for the new one? I did not. That's kind of a thing. I know it's a thing. And I'll, I'll do it. Okay. But yeah, I'm having a kid next month and a birthday next month. So, okay. Yeah. Double donuts, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's what we'll do. Big yeah. I'll, I'll just get two dozen. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening. And uh, this was a fun podcast. And uh, we look forward to more. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. Yep. Thanks, guys.